Well, Daniel chapter 6, today we are walking through, as we've been through over the last six weeks now, uh, Daniel chapter 1 all the way through to today. Uh, we're going to walk through this passage today. It's a familiar story, Daniel in the lion's den. You've all heard it since the time you were a little kid. Hopefully, today we'll learn something new, something that will be a little bit of a nuance, a little bit of, a, uh, of an interesting thing that comes alive when we dig into God's Word. That always happens. You know, you can read a story in the Bible you've read a thousand times, and all of a sudden, like a light bulb goes off. It's like, I've never seen that before. Why? Because God's Word is living and it's powerful. It's living. It's unlike anything you've ever read. It's powerful. It's stronger than anything you've ever spent time with. It will change your life. And so that's what our prayer is today as we walk through this passage. But before we jump into the passage, let me set the stage a little bit for where we've been. So we go roll all the way back to Daniel chapter 1. And you know the story in the time of King Jehoiakim of Judah that uh, the Babylonians came in and they, they took them captive, many of them uh, from Judah. They, they, they captured Judah, they defeated Judah, they took many young men from the, the people of Judah into captivity. One of them was Daniel. He was about 14, 15 years old at the time. They took him into uh, the castle, the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, and they began to, to train them and began to change them, to brainwash them, really. You remember the story in Daniel chapter 1? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, that he would not allow himself to be changed by the, the teaching or the instruction or the brainwashing of Nebuchadnezzar and, and all of his cohorts. And so Daniel started that process, and Daniel was remained faithful. He remained steadfast in his faith. We keep walking through. He's interpreting dreams for Nebuchadnezzar as a result of what he was doing. And, and because of his passion and faith and walk, walking with God, he began to elevate himself. The people began to put him in positions of power and authority. Nebuchadnezzar trusted him. And so he continues down the journey. We see what happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in chapter 3 when they're thrown into the fiery furnace and God protected them. We see that in Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5, which, by the way, Charles did an amazing job of unpacking that for the last couple of weeks for us. And, and God did some amazing things uh, in those passages and teaching us and helping us to understand exactly what it means to be people who are trusting God no matter what. And then we come to Daniel chapter 5. And in Daniel chapter 5, verse 31, Charles shared it with us last week, that when Belshazzar was, was, was hanging back at the palace and he was just like, coasting, cruising through life and just enjoying life and not paying attention to anything important, not really doing what he was supposed to be doing as king. That what ended up happening in Daniel chapter 5 is that the hand of God wrote on the wall and the kingdom of Babylon fell and it fell to Cyrus, the Persian king. And it says in Daniel chapter 5 verse 31 that, that at that time when it fell that, that the kingdom of Babylon was then handed over to Darius. Now, Darius is an interesting guy. We really don't know what his real name is. Uh, Darius is, is a title. It it's honestly kind of means the idea that he was a, a scepter carrier for the king, that he was someone who, who exerted the authority for the king. And so as he was in this situation, Daniel um, now falls under this, this new king, King Cyrus of Persia, and his, uh, his associate there that was in the area of Babylon, Darius the Mede. And so what ends up happening now is what he had known his entire life now completely changes to a, you know, a new chain of authority, a new chain of command, a new king, obviously not knowing what's going to happen, what's going to take place, where things are going to go in the future. And so it tells us in this passage that when Darius the Mede takes over, he's now put in charge of Babylon, and now he was, he was 62 years old. Daniel now is up in his 80s. He's over 80 years old. And so this span is like 65 years that he's been through this entire journey. 
And that brings us to Daniel chapter 6 and what we read here, what we see here in this passage. And again, I want you to open your Bibles to this passage. We're going to spend some time walking through and hopefully learn some new things as it relates to uh, Daniel's life from beginning to end. And that's really what we've been talking about. Now, there are other chapters in Daniel that we're not going to get to. We're really kind of talking about the life of Daniel, the faithfulness of Daniel, like Daniel holding on to the promise that God gave to him. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So I want you to look at Daniel chapter 6. We're going to begin reading verse 1. And it tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, It pleased Darius, Darius the Mede, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Now, satraps is a, is a word that literally means protectors. Like, like they were kind of like mayors, kind of like governors. They were put uh, in responsible over areas there uh, of the kingdom to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. They were there to protect the interests of the king. It goes on to say, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find, uh, could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And so it goes on to say, verse 5, that these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now I want to pause right there for a moment, and I just want to underscore, you ought to underline that verse in your Bible of the faithfulness of Daniel. Daniel now over 80 years old. He's been in captivity, really. He was a slave, even though he was an authority, for 65 years, roughly, uh, serving under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and then, uh, then Nabonidus, and Belshazzar, and now uh, Darius, and King Cyrus. And he's been in all of these different kingdoms, all these different rulers, all these different leaders. And yet, throughout this entire journey, that the people around him said that there's nothing that we can find wrong with this guy, except as it relates to his own faith. Now, let me just ask you, wouldn't that be cool if that's the only thing that the world could find wrong with us? Like, like if the world today came and like evaluated each and every one of us in this room, and they tried to figure out, like, are they a cheat? Are they a liar? Uh, are they unfaithful to their spouse? Uh, are they someone who is, uh, you know, unkind? Are they a gossip? What if the only thing they could find wrong with us was related to our faith in God, that we just served God so much and loved God so much that that's the only thing the world could find wrong with. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I mean, how would that change our society and change our culture? That's what Daniel was going through here. So it goes on to tell us, verse uh, 6, So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. It goes on to tell us, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, just make sure you understand that when it's signed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, not even the king could change the law. Like it was so established and so uh, part of their constitution, if you will, that even the king couldn't change it. And so that's what, again, what the, the King Darius signed this law. He signed the written decree. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. 
Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Again, I want to pause right there. Two thoughts in that verse. The king Darius, now listen, he's the new guy on the block, right? He had just come in, King Cyrus had now put him in charge uh, of the, the region of Babylon. He served under King Cyrus, the Persian king, and, and here he is now, the new guy on the block, and he is actually worried about, concerned about the fact that Daniel was one of the ones that he was going to have to carry out the punishment over. Now, it made no sense that Darius, the new guy, would think anything about Daniel whatsoever, except for the fact that Daniel was a man of integrity. That Daniel was a man of honesty. That Daniel was a man who loved God, served God, faithfully serving even the king. And so even Darius, who had not been there very long, even he recognized there was something special about Daniel. And so this passage says he was greatly displeased with himself. Now why would he be displeased with himself? Here's why. Because he recognized in this moment that his satraps and those governors who came in and got him to sign this law... Who, who appealed to his pride that no one was going to be able to petition God except through uh, King Darius, that now he's recognizing that the wool got pulled over his eyes. He realized he got tricked by them because remember in verse 7, when, when those guys came before the king, you remember what they said? They said all of the satraps, all of the governors, all of the counselors, all of the leaders, we got together and we came up with this plan. And so now, right now, King Darius is realizing for the very first time that he was lied to, that that is not at all what happened because Daniel was one of them. And had Daniel been one of them, then he would not be dealing with what he's dealing with now, with Daniel not following or abiding by that law of the Medes and Persians. And it says that he sought the rest of the day how he could deliver them. And that's important because, again, in that culture, uh, in that Medo-Persian culture, whatever the sentence was, whatever the, the punishment was to be applied to a person who broke the law, it had to be carried out before the sun went down. So in other words, if they killed somebody that morning, before the end of the day, they had to be killed for it. If they broke the law of the Medes and Persians, before the night was over, before the day was over, they had to be punished. It had to be carried out. So he knew that this day he was going to have to deal with Daniel according to the law that he signed. So it goes on to tell us, then these men approached the king and they said to the king, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians. In other words, you can't change it that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and it says that they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of the lords, and the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace, he spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. King Darius spoke to Daniel when he threw him into the lion's den, that your God that you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, I know the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, they, they translate that Aramaic word there, uh, that, that word that he will deliver, and the idea that like it's a definite, like it's a prediction of what's going to happen. But King Darius didn't know this God. 
He had no understanding of what this God that Daniel served could do. And so when you look at the NIV and other uh, translations there, you see that, it's, that that Aramaic word was translated differently in a different type of tense in the sense that, that it's like, I hope that your God will deliver you. And I think that one actually is more accurate because it basically King Darius, he had no idea what this God could do. He didn't know anything about this God. But he says, listen, I hope this God, this God that you were praying to when you knew you shouldn't, I hope this God that you've served throughout your entire life, and there's no question Darius had heard of all the things that Daniel had done throughout his life in serving God. I hope this God can deliver you as we throw you into the den of lions. They seal that pit. Daniel is in there with these hungry lions, and these weren't like, we'll read about this in a few moments, they weren't like old, you know, like, like zoo-kept lions that are sitting there waiting for the guy to come in and throw a, you know, a chicken in for them to eat. I mean, they actually, these were like lions that were ready to attack. In fact, history tells us that in the Medo-Persian culture, that part of what they did, they loved to capture lions, and they would actually keep them uh, in uh, the palace and in the kingdom there. They had them there. So it was like an abundance of lions that they had. And so these wild lions that are down in this pit, now Daniel is in there with them. It tells us then the king rose very early in the morning. He went in haste to the den of lions, and when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice, which again underscores what I said a moment ago, that probably he was saying, I hope that your God can deliver you, because he came crying, he came lamenting, like sorrowful. And here's what he said, uh, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then what he was not expecting is he actually got an answer. And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels, shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote these words, "...to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth." Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and he rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What an amazing story. This idea that Daniel... And his faithfulness and serving God, like, like not veering away from it, not compromising whatsoever. And you know the story of Daniel's life is a story of no compromise, right? Going all the way back to Daniel chapter 1, we started today, like no compromise, not willing to give in, purposing in his heart that he would not defile himself. And now, 80 plus years old, and he's sitting there at 80 plus years old, and he's still remaining faithful to serving God and walking with God, regardless of what the king might say. And then here, he does what he always does. He prays when he knows that he shouldn't. The king has no choice but to throw him into the lion's den. And then when that king came out the next day, man, I hope you're alive, Daniel. I hope your God actually showed up and did something miraculous, expecting that that is not at all what he was going to find. He was expecting to find bones. He was expecting to find some fat lions sitting over in the corner taking a nap after a meal. 
And yet what he found is Daniel was alive and unharmed, untouched, and not in any way, shape, or form damaged by the lions that he spent the night with. Let me just say something. Try that today. Like, like go, in fact, you know, go to a zoo somewhere and climb into the lion's den. Now, you saw a couple of weeks ago, there was a lady, I think in New York, uh, who did that. And she climbed into the lion's den at a zoo, and she went in there. She sat there, and there's video of her st- sitting there and just looking at the lions, taunting the lions. Now, that lion luckily had already eaten, and that lion did not attack the woman. The woman had been uh, apparently drinking something that maybe um, changed her thinking. For her to climb into that lion's den. But I'm just telling you, don't try it. Like, like don't go do that because the lions are going to tear you up. They're going to rip you limb to limb, right? That's what lions do. And so here in the story, when, when the king, King Darius, found Daniel, he's alive, he's well, he's doing great. He takes him out and then realizing that he had been lied to, realizing that, that this was all a, an elaborate hoax, a trick to get Daniel, you know, out of authority and out of the kingdom. And then what it says that he did is he took those who accused Daniel, the ones who got him to sign that law, and he threw them into the lion's pit. He threw their wives into the lion's pit. He threw their children into the lion's pit. And did you catch that a minute ago when I read it? And it says that when they were thrown in, that before they ever even hit the bottom of the den, the lions tore them apart and ate them. Before they ever hit the ground, it was kind of like going to Golden Corral after church on a Sunday. I mean, it was... It was just like food flying everywhere. I mean, they were ripped in pieces and eaten. And so it proves that these lions were actually vicious lions. And yet Daniel had been protected because as Daniel said, my God shut the mouths of the lions. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, and I, I'm pretty sure in your life too, there are moments in your life that you can look back to that you could actually declare, and my God shut the mouths of those lions. Now, I'm not talking about it in a literal sense. I'm not talking about how you were in the lion's den and these animals were coming after you and they got you know, stopped by God. I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about the crisis that we find in our lives, the, the situations that we go through. There are many, many moments that we can look back to where God protected us when we certainly had no right to expect that protection. And yet God did it. Man, what an amazing story. What an amazing encouragement. And I've got to be honest with you, like there are moments even in my life today where I can see God at work in that way, where God simply protects. And so there's some thoughts that I want to kind of give you today, some things that I want you to walk away from from this passage that can help us kind of get a picture and understanding of like exactly what we can apply in our own lives, some takeaways for all of us. And the first one is this, doing the right thing will always make you a target. You got to know that. Like we oftentimes will sit here and, and, and I'll preach or Charles will preach or Scott will preach or Matt will preach and we'll say, man, you got to remain faithful. I was watching this week and listening to some old clips of my dad preaching. And man, my dad was preaching. He was talking about remaining faithful. He talked about fourth quarter ministry, like making sure you get to the end of your life, like just as faithful as when you're beginning, like really kind of conveying the idea of what we're talking about here with Daniel. And man, my dad preached that all the time. I can't tell you how many times I heard him talk about that very thing. Remain faithful, stay true, follow God no matter what, all the way to the last days. But know this, it's important for us to realize that when you do, you're going to have a big bullseye on your back. When you do, people are going to come after you. When you do, when you follow God no matter what, when you are willing to to literally stand in the face of the culture and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Know this, Satan wants to take you down. 
John 10.10 tells us the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's a picture of what Satan's job is. You ever want to know what Satan's job description is? John 10.10. His job description when he applied for the job, when he went in and he sat down, he you know, got on LinkedIn.com and he got connected with the employer and he got brought in and, and they said, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Satan's like, man, that, that's like right down my alley. Like, I got this. I can do that. That's what Satan wants to do. So no matter who you are and no matter like where you are in your journey, you could be like one of those young children that I baptized this morning, like just starting, like eight years old, nine years old, man, just hearing the gospel and, man, I, I like that story. I like what God did for me. I like that he loves me. I like that Christ died for me, that he rose again to pay for my sins. Let's be honest, an eight-year-old, I mean, the sins are a little bit different than they are like when you're older, right? I mean, like the sins of that eight-year-old, he probably she's stolen some cookies, you know, when her mom said, don't eat the cookies till after dinner. Uh, last night, I'm 53. I did that very thing last night. <laughs> we, we, Abby was over at the house, my son's girlfriend, and she made some cookies. And I'm sitting there before dinner. I'm in there. I'm eating the cookies before dinner. That's not healthy. I get it. But I mean, I'm wearing a McDonald's logo jacket. I mean, I'm, a, I'm not the picture of health up here, right? And so, and so, so I realize the sins are not like as big of a deal. But, but you know, when you get to that place, when you recognize, yeah, man, I love the fact that God loves me that much that Christ died for me. And so I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior. That's awesome. That's incredible to think that, that the children, whether eight years old or whether right over here, 82 years old, accepting Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And today he comes and gets baptized. I mean, regardless of where you are on your journey, know this. When you are following God, Satan wants to take you down. When you look in this passage, and it tells us in verses 3 and following, that Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was with him. In other words, he was like a good guy. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. In other words, he was so good that this brand new king recognized that this slave, this, this, this guy that was literally taken into captivity, you know, 65 years ago is so awesome and so good at what he does. I'm going to put him over everybody else, it says. And so then the other governors and the satraps sought to find a charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they couldn't find any charge or fault because he was faithful. Because he was faithful. I don't know about you, but I would love to get to when I get to be 82 or 92 or 102. Man, I'm pulling for 102. That'd be so cool. When you get to that place and that all that people could say about you, man, they were faithful. How cool would that be? Seriously, think about it. Wouldn't that be awesome? that you get to the place at the end of your life and all that anything bad and anything could say of you is, man, they were faithful to their God, even somebody who doesn't like God, even somebody who thinks that God is a myth. Well, you know what? They're a good guy. They were faithful to their God. I don't know why, but, man, they were faithful. I want that to be my story, and I want it to be your story too. And so it says, because he was faithful, they couldn't find anything wrong with him, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And so these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Listen, they were out to get him because of his faithfulness. Because he trusted God, they were out to get him. Because he was walking with God, they were out to get him. Now listen, make no mistake, we're in 2019. We are 2,400 years removed from the lion's den of Daniel. And know this, think about this for a moment. Today there are still people who are out to take us down because of our faithfulness. Now, they're not going to throw us in a lion's den. 
They're not going to throw us in a fiery furnace. Today, the damage that they do is a lot more subtle, but still just as destructive. Because what they'll do is they'll tell stories about you. They'll go on Facebook and they'll go on Twitter, Snapchat, or whatever else, Instagram, and they'll make up things about you. They'll attack your character. They'll attack your integrity. They'll come after you and and tell all kinds of stories about you. And so the only defense that we have, the only way that we can actually make sure that we stand firm in the midst of that attack is this, our faithfulness to God. Think about it. These guys said, we can't find anything wrong with them, so we'll just have to make it up. We'll just have to literally attack him because he's so faithful to his God. Let that be your story. Will they come after you? You bet they will. But here's good news. So what? Let them come. Remain faithful to the promises of God. Why? Because faithfulness is more important than popularity or acceptance. We live in a culture today where everything tells us that we've got to be liked. Did you see the furor going on right now, like in the news and the media? Like everybody's upset because Instagram has decided in the United States, they're actually going to hide Instagram likes from now on. And people are angry. They're furious. People were actually picketing at Instagram, the Facebook offices. They were actually out there with signs because they're going to take away my likes. Why? Because we live in a culture that is addicted to acceptance, addicted to popularity. We are addicted to making people get to the place where they think highly of us. Why? It's all rooted in pride. Like, like it's all about pride. It's because I want to be better than anybody else. I want people to like me more than they do other people. I want people to look at me and think, man, he's awesome. He's great. He's incredible. And so I post my pictures of all the things that I get to do. Hey, look at this person. I got to meet him. Look at what I got to do. I got to go do this thing. And we just celebrate all the things that we do in our lives. Why? Because we want likes, because we want acceptance, because we want popularity. Faithfulness is more important than acceptance and popularity. When you look at this passage, it tells us here in verse uh, 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplications before his God. Think about that verse. Leave that verse up there if you would, guys. Go, go actually go back to the uh, first part of the verse, verse 10. Look at that first sentence. You ought to underline this here, but you ought to circle it. You ought to highlight it. You ought to circle it like 12 times, the first few words of this passage. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. You know why we ought to circle that over and over and over again? Because it is an encouragement to us. Daniel didn't make a mistake. Daniel didn't accidentally remain faithful. He didn't like, you know, forget that the writing had been signed. It wasn't like he knew that, you know, that he was like, everything was great and he forgot that the king had had signed the law that said he would pay with his life to remain faithful to God. It says, when Daniel knew that the writing had been signed, what did he do next? It says this, he went home and in his upper room with the windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times that day. You know why he did that? Because if you roll all the way back to King Solomon, a a king that that King Daniel never met, never ever had the opportunity of seeing him in person, but King Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 8, when he uh, consecrated and dedicated the temple, you know what he said? He said this, always pray looking towards the temple of Jerusalem. And so here's what Daniel was doing. He was doing what a long away, long ago, a long dead king told him as a follower of God, this is what you should do. And he's still doing it. 
Psalm 55, verse 17, the psalmist writes, three times a day, morning, noon, and night, cry out to your God. Daniel was doing exactly what the law told him to do. And when he knew that he could pay for his life, he knew that all could end. He knew that it could all be over because of what he was doing. You know what he did? Here's what he did. He went home and he got up into his upper room and he opened the windows. He didn't hide in the closet. He opened the windows and he faced towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times that day as was his custom since the early days. In other words, he's always done it. He's going to do it today and he will do it till the day he dies no matter what the culture says. Man, don't you want that to be your story? Don't you want that to be what drives your life? That literally you get to the place where you are so in tune with the commands of God and following after God that it's just like everybody knows this is what they're going to do. And you know what the Bible tells us? It's really cool. The Bible tells us in that next verse, it says, Then these men, the ones who tricked the king to sign the law, they assembled and they found Daniel praying. You know what's cool about that? Again, it's kind of a throwaway sentence. You don't really pay much attention to it. But here's what's cool about it. They knew exactly where to find Daniel. Like they knew where he was going to be. They knew that his window was going to be open. They knew he was going to be praying. Why? Because Daniel had the testimony that no matter what, I will serve my God. Faithfulness is more important than popularity and acceptance. In a culture that we are constantly told it's all about you, man, make sure you live your life not all about you. Live your life all about God. Why? The last thing we learn from this passage is because God will always protect and reward. God will always protect and reward. Look what it says in the last part of the passage, verse 22. My God, Daniel speaking, my God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. And you know how God responded? Man, he protected him in the lion's den, but he wasn't even done there. Verse 28, so Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In other words, for 65 years, Daniel remained faithful. For 65 years, he followed after God. For 65 years, with multiple opportunities to compromise, multiple opportunities to give in, multiple opportunities to quit, what did Daniel do? He remained faithful. And how did God reward him? So God protected him under King Jehoiakim when he was 14. God protected him under King Nebuchadnezzar when he was 15. God protected him under King Nabonidus and and Belshazzar, when he was 65, 75, 80. God protected him under King Darius and King Cyrus when he was 82, 83. And God protected him until the day he died. Why? Because he was faithful. Now, this is a picture, obviously, of the faithfulness of Daniel. We, we read this story. We, you know, we're talking about one guy. One guy who like, did it all right. But while we recognize this is a story about one guy, we also recognize... This is a story about all of us. Because here's what's true. Don't, don't miss this. What's true is this, is that what God did for Daniel, he has already done for you and me. Now think about that. When Daniel was getting ready to be thrown into the lion's den, let me just tell you something. I'll bet you, it's not, it's not in the scriptures, you can't find it. I'll bet you anything that Daniel was praying, God, remember what you did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You better do that for me. I've been faithful. I mean, I can just see his prayers like, God, seriously, I remember the fire. 
I remember what happened there. So, I'm, you know, seriously, God, show up. But he didn't know for sure, right? He, he didn't know for absolute certain that, that when he got thrown into that lion's den, those lions, den, lions were going to go sit over in the corner and, you know, take a nap. There's some pictures out there where you show this man kind of standing up like elegantly in a robe and he's standing there, the lions are all around him. I've seen some where the, the guy's lying down, he's using the, you know, the lion's uh, uh, body as a pillow. I've seen those too. And by the way, if I were in that line, I'm not sleeping on the line. I ain't going to do that. Like, I'm going to go in the corner. But regardless, I don't know what happened to that, but I know this, he wasn't sure until he came out. But today, we can be sure because God has already done for us what he did for Daniel. And you know how I know that? Because the Bible says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what that tells me is this, that regardless of what crisis you're going to face, regardless of what challenge you're going to go through, regardless of the world tries to do to you, regardless of them trying to stop you, regardless of them trying to put you down, regardless of Satan himself trying to steal and to kill and to destroy, that when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got nothing to worry about because he has already won the victory for you. You have already been delivered by believing in his name. So today... What's our takeaway from Daniel in the lion's den? A familiar story that we all love. One of those great flannel graph stories of our past. What's the takeaway? The takeaway is this. While Daniel went into the lion's den not quite sure, today you can walk out into the world with absolute certainty. God is on your side. And he has already won the battle for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. The fact that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again for our sins. God, we're overwhelmed, we're amazed that you could actually do that for us. Just as Daniel was amazed that you shut the mouths of the lions in that den that day. God, we are amazed that you have protected us by the gift of your son. And so God, right now I pray that as we come to these moments of commitment and decision, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us. And God, if there's someone here today, watching today, listening today, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, help them today to be delivered by believing that Jesus is your son, by believing that he died and that he rose again for them, and that today that they will call on the name of the Lord and they will be saved. God, I pray that today would be that day. We give you the praise for it. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is going to be gathering here at the front. And as they do, please recognize this. Today, the, the, this Bible story that we've spent some time talking about is a story that is just as relevant today as it was in 538 B.C., 540 B.C., when it all took place. Just as important. And you know why it's just as important? Here's why. Because today God wants to deliver you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you've never come to that place where you said, I believe that Jesus is God's son, I believe that he's died and that he rose again for me, man, the greatest news you'll ever hear is this. You can do that right now. It's never too late. Like there's never a moment where you've gone one step too far. God will save you. And so today, if you've never done that, man, I just pray in a moment that you will, as we stand in a moment, as you just walk down these aisles and let one of these men and women here in the front just kind of talk with you and share with you the good news of the gospel. It's for you. It is for you. It is for you, regardless of who you are. Maybe you are a Christian, 
But man, you've been out there in the middle of battle, in the middle of the war. You've been in your own little lion's den. And you've been wondering, should I compromise? Should I give in? Should I quit? The answer is no. You shouldn't. Stay faithful. And maybe today you just want to come here and kneel here and thank God for his faithfulness to this point, but also say, God, I need you today. I need your strength. God, give me wisdom. Give me guidance. Help me today. Maybe you want to join our church or come for baptism. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you. As we stand right now and sing these words, as Charles leads us, I encourage you, step out right now. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.